0: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation on Air. An episode of Our Generation on Air, which is actually going to talk about QPR winning a game of football. After many, many attempts, some more with more effort than others, uh, QPR finally won a game. Even better, they won a game at home in front of the fans at Loftus Road. Goals were scored at the Loft end. We're ticking off boxes left, right and centre. And what a bonkers win it was. So much to get into that we're probably not even going to talk about. The other game that's happened this week or recently away at Norwich. No real point. Not much to read into there, I don't think. Um, But certainly lots to read into in the game against Stoke. And joining me to discuss all of this is... Ben Summer. Ben, you're lucky enough to be on probably one of the few podcasts where we actually win a game. I know Micah is very jealous. Do you feel honoured?
1: I, I do feel honoured and not only that, I actually managed to make it to the game. I've not been as, as good at going as I should have been recently anyway, but on my attempts that I ha- have made, which have spanned the last three managers, um, I've not seen a home win. Um, so, <laughs> it's been it's been very nice. That does take me back to that. Reading 4-0 was the last home win that I managed to see. I managed to miss all the nice ones under it under Beale, Um and then I've been coming much more regularly since it started to go sour, uh, so that was very nice as well. The
0: thing is as well, with the length of time it's been between sort of like this and the last win, which was obviously Watford last March, um last win at home at least, you, you know, unless you're really unlucky, I don't think you can kind of like do what the normal football fan does and kind of looks into it and looks into its own, like, is there a pattern here? Is me am I the bad luck charm? If I don't turn up to a game, are they gonna suddenly play well? Well, no, I've not been to QPR games, and let me tell you, QPR still play crap without me. Um it's it's just happened, it's finally happened. We've actually won a game. It's it's brilliant. Um yeah, it could have quite easily gone the other way. It could have been a completely sour note, it could have been the most depressing game on it, it could have could have been a real struggle to get you or anyone else to come on the podcast and talk about it because we were, you know, even though nearly everything went our way, we still threw that massive curveball of just being QPR in there and just managed to make it difficult for ourselves, didn't we?
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't impressed with us for a lot of the game, to be honest with you, and uh, judging by the noises made by the people around me, that was a, a pretty popular opinion. Um, I have watched most of the the Martis Fuentes era so far. Admittedly, didn't get to catch the Norwich game, so I can't make comparisons there. But I could see what was being tried. I could see the slightly slicker sort of passing moves trying to be put together. But a lot of times, I'd see a player try something and it wouldn't come off. We were getting sort of—I don't want to say frustrated at Paul Smith because I think we can all look at what he's trying to do and, and he's a really enjoyable player to watch. But he was trying to get past players. He was leaving the ball behind. It was just kind of just all getting frustrating, really. Um, And when we went 2-1 down, I was sort of texting people about how much I hated football and why do I put myself through this? And it's the same every week. And Jesus Christ, I didn't think there could be new ways for this club to disappoint me. And yet here is one of them. Um, And then just the maddest last 15, 20 minutes um, I've witnessed in a while at football, really.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important what you said about not being that impressed, because first half, in particular there's moments from the second half where i was um obviously the last 15 minutes like you said i'm really happy with that and it sort of anything goes at that point because we're just trying to get anything out of the game so i don't think you're gonna and we'll cover that later on but largely tweaking i don't think there's much kind of like in the way of we're gonna set up like that for every single game from now on but the first half i was really hoping for something impressive um and just you know, I did have a feeling going into the game that we were probably going to get a result. I really did believe that that was going to be the time. You know, nothing necessarily to do with the, the fact that a legendary QPR figure in Terry Reynolds had died, reg- you know, that not that long before. And you can see, you know, the outpouring of grief from a lot of people that uh, sort of, well, from my dad's point of view, he was frustrated that the m- national coverage of it is obviously dedicated to his Euro an England career and then the Barcelona segment and Tottenham and stuff like that, but not mentioning the fact that he created a brilliant team at QPR and was part of one of our greatest ever teams as well. You know, that is something that really has grated on him. And I imagine on a lot of people, but for me and you, you know, in a nicest possible way, we, we're aware, I guess, of Terry Venables, but even Euro 96, it's before our time. It's not like it's not something that comes across in our sort of like football reference but even with that i still felt like we had a w- there was going to be something from this game and when we started and it wasn't like a stoke of all teams stoke city under alex neil were playing the football against our yeah. uh, you know against qpr reborn with the barcelona acolyte in charge i was thinking what is happening like this is this yeah. this is not going how i expected it to
1: well, that's the weird thing. You say Stoke were playing the football. They certainly had the possession. It was when I checked at a certain point. I mean, it landed on exactly 50-50 by the end of the game, but it was around 70% in their favour, a good, a good 20, 25 minutes in. Um, they weren't playing amazing football. And my dad commented he'd never seen a, a team so deliberately try and put the ball out for corners and throw-ins, um, as, as Stoke seemed to be doing. I wasn't that impressed with them technically. There was, there was you know... I know what Alex Neil teams do. I know that the point isn't to be technically impressive, but the fact that we allowed them to have the ball that much and they didn't actually do anything particularly interesting with it and it was only our own mishaps and and sort of general softness of points that that meant they got to the position they got to yeah.
0: um
1: it was it was just bizarre and just kind of basic things not coming off how did you in feel a, about the really um
0: the penalty then? start talking about the goals because
1: there's plenty of them to yeah. go through but
0: from from my end of the ground south africa road and it closed to the loft end and it did feel like a lot of people around the ground didn't realize it was a penalty
1: yeah i didn't realize it was a penalty i i i, 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 I saw what looked like a foul and so as soon as we started going is it a penalty I, I knew what the incident would have been um but i whatever movements by the ref seemed to be blocked i mean we both sit in the south africa road um stand so maybe um Maybe the view was slightly blocked by a player or two. I, I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I didn't realise. Um, I mean, do you think it was a penalty as well? Yes, I think that was a penalty. But I also think Sam Field holding on to one of their players in the second half in a very similar way was a penalty, which wasn't given. Um, but yeah, I think I think both are. I think there's a clear handful of shirt there. Um, yeah. Do you think? I think it's, you know, nothing that they wouldn't
0: do against us. I, I think... Cook exaggerates it to a certain extent, and that is a dive in that in that in that sense of the word. But yeah, he is like farcical, really. From is it Stevens? Like you just
1: yeah,
0: he just let him score the goal basically, rather than trying to foul him. You could easily, I mean, he did. He obviously does get sent off eventually, but to you know give away a penalty, another ref. It's not like a horrendous one, but it is an obvious goal-scoring chance that had Cook not been under a lot of pressure for, and certainly if he wasn't fouled and tugged back and stuff like that, then you could argue he's going to score that. So in that sense, then, you know, maybe it's a little bit ridiculous, but then by the letter of the law, does he have to get sent off as well? Because it's denying a very clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. It's not necessarily a one-on-one, but still a goal-scoring opportunity nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know the rules inside out, but it feels like a case of ref sort of going, I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit here. It's probably a penalty, but I don't want to don't want to sort of, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to comment without yeah. knowing really. But um, it was just kind of the story of the of Stokes evening really, after that kind of opening spell where they were really on top. Like it just felt like Alex Neal football done badly, really. Like yeah. it, it, you you could see what they were trying to do. You could see they were trying to close stuff down. But they were giving us throw-in after throw-in throw-in which we eventually started to actually put together passages of play from. And, and that was a real bugbear of in mine in the first half that we were slow to get to those and, and we weren't kind of restarting quickly and that kind of thing. Um, and then later on, I, mean, again, I know we'll get to it, but not talking about goals specifically, talking about Ender Stevens and, and the various other yellow cards. It's quite good game management in terms of taking off players who are on yellows at a certain point, but I thought they could have ended up on... on you know, eight or nine men at a certain point, the the rate at which they were giving away silly yellow cards. that they didn't have to. We're just looking Um, at it now.
0: Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six players got a yellow card. And then obviously there's a second yellow for Stevens in there as well. So, you know, that's yeah. Incredible levels of yellow cards. Like, and to be fair, I, I was going through the game thinking the ref's given us every major call, the red card penalty, perhaps not giving them a penalty. We've had the rub of the green on the really big calls, but I still, and even though he's carding them left, right and center, there, there was a couple of times where like, they got yellow cards talking back and it, so, it's something that needs to happen so desperately in football because, you know, in the nicest possible way, teams shouldn't just be able to like shit house their way through games. You can't just abuse the referee for 90 minutes and get away, away with it. The fact that these players were actually getting yellow cards for once, it, yeah, felt brilliant, yeah. but at the same time, I felt like they they were still getting like the really sort of like niggly little fouls. Like you know, Smith would lay a hand on a very big player, he would hit the deck, and it's like, yeah, that's apparently a foul against Smith.
1: Yeah, th- th- there were a couple that I thought, yeah, they they still kind of got away with, but by the same measure, Jack Holbach, who again, I spent a lot of the night being quite frustrated with, but had to sort of walk away with a bit of respect for spent the whole time kind of having these little nibbles here and there. And if he wasn't quite getting a tackle in, then just doing basically what I do, at five-a-side and, and getting away with a bit of a kick in the shins or something that doesn't actually really slow someone down, but it just sort of confuses them enough to stop them getting the pass off that they want to get. Um, I, I will say that it was less of a sort of tearing my own eyes out experience than watching Alex Neal teams in the past. Um, and I, I think refereeing is, is probably slightly improved on that front where, like you say, the yellow cards were being given out. Begovic gets one for time wasting. I think it was time wasting. I, I, if that yeah, was the case, right, so at, the
0: end, right yeah, at the end. Of I the don't, game. I
1: don't, I don't mind that. I'd rather see that happening than not. And there was a verbal warning from the ref right in front of me towards a, a Stoke player. nearly said a Preston player because I'm so used to this being the context of we talk about this. A verbal warning from the ref to, the, to a Stoke player towards the end of the game, basically saying hurry up with your throw in. This is getting ridiculous. And I'd be interested to see the stats about how how much the ball's in play because they were putting it out of play all the time, but it didn't feel as wasteful in terms of getting things moving again. And and other than when they made this double sub and one of the players walked off a longer route than he had to, there wasn't too much of that. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way. That's that sort of my gut instinct just based on having yeah. watched it. it.
0: The it was interesting. The Bekovic had a card because. You know we were time wasting in the first half when we were up. That Begovic was taking a really long time over his kicks at that point, and then yeah. their goalkeeper takes a really long time. It's it just how, how interesting how quickly it changes, and that you know all of a sudden if their goalkeeper had the ball, obviously he's then taking it quicker. But that you know, that's by the by. I would just say if you're going to yellow guard a goalkeeper for time wasting, then you may as well do it earlier on. you doing it 90 yeah. plus six minutes really isn't much use at all. Um. May as well just, you know you, literally what is the point at that you know we're 4-2 up we're going to win the game uh,
1: yeah, you know you it, could confidently like say that, the fans by that point. Sort of, yeah ref pacifying the fans by, by showing them what they sort of want want to have seen earlier but without having the risk of it actually having an effect on the game And, yeah. and you know the ref doesn't and I don't think any ref wants to think about if this keeper's on a yellow card already say in the 50th minute and he starts time wasting again what do I do now? And 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 that decision sort of yeah, gets avoided by only giving it later on, I suppose.
0: So Dykes then steps up for the penalty, going back to this first goal that yeah. we should be talking about, really. Um, Obviously, you know, in a couple of moments' time, we'll mention the fact that Dykes misses an absolute sitter, but were you... I was really nervous when he stepped up for the penalty. Were you nervous as well in his ability to actually score a goal?
1: Yeah, I, I must have wound up the people around me no end. I was, sort of, I, can't, I can't watch this; is horrible. I hate this. I hate this. Why it's worse than us having a chance? It's horrible. I hate it. you know. I, I had my jumper pulled up around my sort of mouth and nose, and only stopped short of not watching because I'm I'm not one of those people that can sit with my eyes closed when a penalty's taken or turn away or whatever. But um, no disrespect to Lyndon Dykes, it's just the sort of thing that hap- seems to happen to us. It, it, you know, we're not we don't have one of the sort of great penalty takers in in the league. I mean, let's be honest. His penalties short.
0: come with a high degree of risk, regardless of what yeah. form
1: he's in. Yeah, yeah. He, he just smashes it, and and then we all cross our fingers. But I can't remember whichever when we had that cup run under Mark Warburton, and we sort of were doing quite well in penalty shootouts, and then just had that one where it was just absolutely rotten. I think it was, was it against Sunderland? Did that go to penalties in the end? Yeah, after that, but I don't think
0: referee... he took a. I don't think he took a kick in that. I think it was maybe, Chair maybe that he, took the first
1: one. Yeah, he, he'd come off by then. I'm not even saying it's a Lyndon Dykes thing. That just haunts me whenever any of our players take a penalty. I just think well, about how rotten was, that shootout was.
0: The particular worst ones was Chair and Barvey, and I know, I, I know people make jokes about sort of like penalties taken in yonks gone, sort of like of players before before our time. But that Barbe one, like you said, will haunt quite a few people because that was so unbelievably high and wide. Like you know, we know he's. Well, he's apparently good for free kicks. Come, you know, when he's playing in the French leagues, but when he's playing for us, he could never really get close to actually scoring a goal. He, never quite confident of Barbe in that situation. But yeah, that was absolutely haunted. And I, I was like, you, I w- wasn't showing it perhaps to you, but I was really, you know, like praying, begging that he just scored this opportunity. Cause you kind of think at yeah. that point, we'll see, maybe, maybe I'm right in this, maybe I'm wrong. But at that point, if he's just scored, you just think, he's going to have a bit more confidence, you know, like he's going to be a yeah. little bit better for it.
1: What it did for his confidence is not an easy question to answer because of what we'll go on to talk about, but I would have felt so strongly that we'd have lost that game if he missed it. Like I would, you wouldn't have been able to convince me otherwise just yeah. purely because Stoke were having a little bit of a spell. We have that thing of, of I know, I know obviously if we miss a penalty, it's still nil-nil. but I think we're going to concede a goal and then we're going to concede two more goals and I spent the entire match watching. So as I look at it from the South Africa Road Stand, the far end of the loft end penalty area—that is the end near our block—where I feel like I've seen a low cutback put in by an opposition side in the first half a dozen times in the past year or two. Um, and it just—it just felt like we missed that penalty, and we can see three of those, and um, you know, game, set, and match. And and I—I I really, you know, I, th- I think it. I don't think the crowd lifted particularly in terms of atmosphere. It was quite a quiet night, but I think it gave everyone a little bit of a moment of thinking just, you know, maybe luck's on our side a little yeah. bit.
0: Let's mention then the fact that instead of being potentially three 0 up at the break, we went in one all, I was going to say one all down, but that's how it felt to be honest, that yes. we were losing yeah, yeah, one yeah. all um, and that we were going to lose or something like that. Like you said, because you, you, with this group of players at the moment, as soon as they concede, the heads drop, and it's sort of like, well, that's it. Back to back to revert back to type. We'll we'll lose this game again. Um, Dykes has that chance, and like the penalty, I was, I, I, I think my dad wasn't quite paying attention, like because it wasn't. It just came out of nothing, didn't it? We came out. I think uh, is it Kieran Clark? I might be making.
1: I think it, it was. Is... It, it was a bad back pass either way. It was, it was...
0: Yeah, like someone right. like. Just, awful back pass and you just think oh come on come on come on and i, I am uh, i think probably a bigger lyndon dykes fan than the average qpr fan because of the fact that he's you know um a scotland player and the fact that uh, you, you know it, i don't it, it it means so much to me that he's a key part of the scotland team that's doing really well it means so much it, it's just hard to uh to put into words happy st andrew's day by the way Uh, Um, and every time someone criticizes him it's like like i said in the chat it's like someone's criticizing a member of my own family i want to stick up for him i want to like back him to the hill because i i really like him and and to see him miss that chance that i don't think no you know it was i don't don't want to say easy because it's not an easy it's still one on you still got a maybe like take it around the goalkeeper or whatever, but he should score it. That's the bare minimum. Like It's the first time that I've looked at something like that in a long time and gone, actually, I might have stood a chance of scoring that goal. You know, I know what I'd want to do in that situation. And it's not try and put it through the goalkeeper's legs.
1: Yeah. And and actually, if you look, he even if he's trying to put it through the legs, he lingers so much on that. that the, the keeper's practically on the ground by the time he, he sort of angles his leg back to, to shoot, if you like. But. And, and I really like Lyndon Dykes as well. And I was just thinking that as you were talking, we signed him in, in when, the summer of 2020. Um, I can't recall a temper tantrum since then. I can't recall a run of games where he looks like he's not putting in the effort. All the players that we've seen have attitude problems. Certainly, he's had problems with his finishing. And it's a shame that that's not a part of what would otherwise be a very, very complete footballer. Um, but can't fault the levels of effort, the dedication, so on and so forth, and always really wanted to do well. I think he adds a lot, even when he's not scoring. And despite giving, being given a really hard time by Stoke's defence um, the other day, really did apply himself and was trying to win those flick-ons. But it was it was an abysmal finish. It was really, really terrible. And um, just yeah, just everyone around me was just fuming at that um, in the moment. Yeah. Really glad not to spoil it for anyone who's for some reason catching up on the game via the you know, meeting with this podcast really <laughs> glad he got what was due in in the second half um, part, partly just for, for his sake partly for the fact that it, that it helped us win the game but but also because I just think his reputation would have taken a major, major hit if that was the, the defining moment um, not least because of what happened 30 seconds after
0: Well the thing is, well uh, even though it's not his fault, it is kind of his fault isn't it? It's sort of like he's got a percentage of the blame in this situation where Stoke go. Up the other end of the pitch, and it's just uh, it's like clown school defending from Jimmy Dunn, unfortunately. Um, it's shocking. Uh, there's a player that, uh, even though you know, I, I do kind of have a bit of time for, I do like him, I don't like him as much as Dykes. Um, but it, it was like you, you look at it, and just think, what, What's what I, why? Why have we done that? Like, what, why can't we just you know. It's like that, um, the, the clip from The Simpsons where Abe, Abe Simpson's talking to Mr. Burns and his trousers fall down. It's like, can you not embarrass yourself for five minutes? Could you, could you not, could you just act normal, please, for five minutes and let us survive this half? I mean, yeah, we hey, should, like, like, like I said, we should have gone in at three 0 up. Smith probably should have scored his chance. It's good from chair. It's maybe a little bit, but be- you know. I don't know whether Dixon Bonner was doing it on purpose, but it's a good pass all the same, whether it's accidental or not. Smith should have scored. We should have been 3-0 up. And we go in 1-0 down because we can see from a corner. And it's so sloppy, it's ridiculous.
1: That um, that whole passage of play was, was two things. One, it, it summed up our night that far, that we just really couldn't have any nice things. We couldn't recycle anything. We couldn't hold on to the ball. If we tried something that didn't come off, that meant that we were going to be vulnerable within within a few seconds. But what it also was, it was one of those moments where, you know, when you're at a house party or a work thing or whatever it is, and, uh, and you meet a, an Arsenal for my sins or Liverpool for my sins person. And, uh, and you guys support QPR and they go, how are you doing? And, oh yeah, no, we're, we're really not very good at the moment. And they go, oh yeah, no, no, trust me. I've been following Man United all my life. I know how it feels. <laughs> and Your eyes sort of fill with, with memories of, of moments like, that passage of play and like think just we are not that we're no, not the same. You have like <laughs> no, this is not, not the same. <laughs> and um and, and and God knows that's more true for people who don't live like I do at the other end of the M4, people who go every week and the guy sat in front of me who who does go every week and was slowly and then very quickly. It's like like a really niche reference but in the John Green book um The Fault in our Stars where she falls to get falls in love slowly then all at once he was losing his mind slowly then all at once. <laughs> um, and um, I've lost track of where I'm going with this now, but, but it, yeah, it just is like, if any moment sums up supporting a, a championship football club, that's managed inexplicably to avoid relegation for the majority of the last sort of five to 10 seasons. That was it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I. I <laughs> we all know like that particular Man United fan, whether you've met him at a party or, or you, you have a friend who's a Man United fan or, or, any of those sort of like, you know, long distance Liverpool fans. And it's just kind of like, you know, like it, it's a bit like, you know, I would probably never say, oh, you have no idea how tough it is watching QPR to a Bury f- fan.
1: Yeah. Like, well, also like, and and I don't like that hierarchy of, of fandom generally anyway. As I said many a time, I only really came to football when I was 17, 18. So there's a lot of misery that I could have been participating in and, and was busy and watching Doctor Who or whatever as a teenager. But like anyone who's been paying to watch QPR for for the first um for the past few months, years is in the same club as as sort of supporters of the majority of EFL clubs where you've witnessed a, a lot of misery at some point um for very little reward and some of the yeah. most nonsensical things you've ever seen on a football pitch. I
0: mean if it does if it does bring the sort of to go a little bit full circle and go back to what one of the first things I was saying about Terry Venables, you know, he's a manager that took us to the cup final, wasn't he? If I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, thinking of that, I, I can't imagine what it's like. I, I've, I've seen a QPR team win at Wembley and that's incredible. And uh, you know, that, that moment is scorched into my mind forever. And it was beautiful, but going to Wembley for a, fa cup final that is just you know for me that's everything we're so we're so crap in the fa cup and the, the fact that you, that one particular team managed to do that and, and, you know that anytime liverpool win it or man united win it they could never never understand and that, that kind of like you know every efl team would probably be in the same boat that just one day out would be incredible uh, that, I digress and we'll come back to the FA Cup when we get knocked out in the third round to I don't know a whole, I don't know, some nonsense Well
1: let's let's place our bets now because I think the fundamentals of a QPR third round defeat are a team that we should be should be beating but slightly upwardly mobile and their fans would feel quite justified in having beaten us but also we won't put up the amount of fight that is necessary to put up so I'm going to go with Portsmouth.
0: Oh uh, I'm going to go Bolton.
1: Yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I don't know if we're both kind of like. Does it have to be top half? This is a bit football cliches now. Does it have to be top half League One? I don't think it, it like... does.
0: I think it just just has to be someone that it's either going to be Blackburn or someone we haven't played in a while or like never, and it will be yeah. at home. It won't be away. We seem to get. Oh, it's always home. At home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of home ties, and but that means absolutely that... naffle.
1: In that Warburton season where we had runs in both cups, we barely had. got Fulham at home. <laughs> oh, that was the season before. That was horrible. Oh, yeah. That was we played really well. I remember, and then yeah. both goals were in extra time. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, we played really well through the lens of that season, didn't we? Because we were awful, and like we uh, kept Trim- a yeah. Premier League team at bay for ninety minutes, and then copped up in like the last.
1: That was when You're Charlie in Austin was had at the game the of club, his life. Was, was that the game where Charlie Austin went and sat in the stands?
0: No, that's the that? game before he signed. Oh, I see. Yeah,
1: he was sat there watching, wasn't he? He was yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
0: someone went and took a photo of Charlie Austin's silhouette from the outside of the stadium because no one was allowed in because of COVID. Yeah. That's the bonkers... <laughs> while,
1: while that powerful that... investigative journalism is going on, Charlie Austin's posting on Instagram being like, can't wait to go back somewhere tonight. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that that silhouette picture kept a lot of people going.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was. I just think about lockdown football quite a lot just in terms of just how, how we were kind of hanging on to every moment of, of what was at so many points a terrible football team. Yeah, I remember every moment of it so clearly as well. But like,
0: then like you remember like the tiniest little detail like that and you just think, that was f- absolutely mental. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, yeah. I, re- I remember um, Remy Ote nearly scoring a sort of very Dennis Bergkamp goal at the tail end of the 2019-2020 season. Yeah. Well, if you want to I, talk I, about I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember like things from games I've been to this season. Something about that lockdown. Yeah. But just...
0: you know, if you want to talk about ridiculous goals being scored by players at the end of that season, then mm-hmm. it's Jordan Hugel with yeah, his legs blowing up yeah. after scoring yeah. the most inc- one of the most incredible goals. Like, a very Jordan Hugel moment. All in all, you know the he,
1: the Jordan Hugo moment.
0: Yeah, up there with the I think it was Wigan where he missed the sitter yeah. and scored a scream. Like that is just. Yeah. In I mean, again,
1: uh, it means nothing. Absolutely but, nothing yeah, but, at all. <laughs> but, but but with that Wigan Wigan game, I think history has been rewritten a little bit. It was a good finish. It wasn't a screamer. We talk about it as a screamer. If he'd have scored, he felt
0: like a. If he'd have scored the Middlesbrough what,
1: goal, yeah. exactly. But if he'd have scored that Middlesbrough goal after missing that sitter, that would be the Jordan Hugo moment. But I think if you're weighing up. Missing a sitter versus scoring the weirdest goal you've ever seen in your entire life. The latter is is true, Hugo, because there's other strikers that can miss sitters.
0: Um, we're going off on too much of a tangent. Let's uh fixate back on what we should be talking about. Uh I have actually forgotten what where we are in the grand scheme of things. Okay, shambolic defending for their first goal. Okay, second half. Smith. It does what he does really well and actually beats his man he's one-on-one on pace he terrifies i imagine quite a few players but you've just got to get him into that final third and if, if he can't if he can't cut in and take a shot unfortunately there's not much end product however stevens didn't know that clearly or wasn't thinking properly grabbed him in a certain way smith hits the deck If it was me, if it was me being a Stoke fan, I'd have been apoplectic about this because I didn't think it was a foul, particularly. I think this is quite soft. But you know what? They'll probably go against us this season and they probably have gone against us already this season. I mean, you know, there's that Begovic one against Leeds, which does get overturned, but regardless, still a horrendous decision. We need a bit of luck. I would begging for any bit of luck. And we got that luck. And even after that, we still didn't look like winning the game.
1: No, it, it was it was lucky, it was a soft decision. What I will say is Smith does very well in that he chases a ball that's definitely gone anyway. Um, knowing that yeah, Stephen Stevens might make a bit of a rash decision, and then he sells the dive quite well, I think, as well. Yeah. And stays on his feet for a moment and, and so on. But um yeah, we we still didn't look fantastic. I don't know if you want to come onto this directly, but I think it's the substitutions that that really make the difference, every one of them in, in their own way. But yeah. until that point, there just wasn't the there wasn't the urgency, there wasn't the composure, there wasn't the patience to to sit there, you know, w- with the ball and actually play a few really quick passes back and forth and just try and unpick something. It was this sort of horrible mix of everyone trying to be the hero and also a little bit of lingering Ainsworth ball and, and Steve Cook sort of smacking balls long. At least one moment where, where Jimmy Dunn, God bless him, just makes a terrible, terrible pass. One one that sticks in, in, in the mind particularly. Um, well, the... Yeah, it was, it was still rubbish for a bit.
0: Yeah, you talk about the subs. Cannon and Willock being the first two to come on. I wouldn't say Willock had an incredible game and it's nice to see him score, but he wasn't brilliant. But Cannon is, you know, unfortunately, the reason why he's with us is probably because he is that little bit more injury prone than your average footballer. But boy, is he an improvement over Kakai. And that wouldn't have meant a lot that not that long ago, you know, you'd have, that would have been a given. Most right-backs that we could have signed would probably be better than Kakai. But he's actually come on, I think, quite well. And he, I don't think, had a terrible game unless I'm... No, I thought he was all right. Like, I, he's, I always I think liked he's, him,
1: but I thought he acquitted himself well enough, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think he's turned himself into a pretty steady Eddie for the championship level. It's just that going forward when Cannon comes on that right flank, all of a sudden becomes a real attacking threat and he is going forward. He's got a great chance. He doesn't score or whatever, but he, all of a sudden Stoke would have been like, shit, wh- what do we do? There's, a, <laughs> there's someone really good on. And then I, I just love actually the fact that he was willing to do anything to go and get the win or get a draw. And he was willing to change a formation, go away from what would be best practice or whatever. I don't think managers do it enough where they just, it's just sort of like, you know what? Go on, go on, cause a bit of chaos and just do whatever you can. And it's a little bit more kind of, you know, we're going to experiment. You're maybe going to play slightly out of position, like chair and Powell end up playing central midfield together and it works. That was a brilliant,
1: brilliant I'm move. I'm not yeah.
0: saying like that has to be the team that starts the next game because that would be ridiculous. It's a hell Mary attempt to try and get the three points and you can't do it every single game. That's where you've got to be smart. Uh, in a you know nice possible way, Ainsworth would have never done that. I don't think Critchley would have done it to the same effect. Bill maybe, don't know. Probably not. Uh, Warburton definitely wouldn't have done that. Warburton was a good manager, but he was stubborn in the way that he went about stuff, and you were going to stick to the plan regardless. Th- yeah. This was like that little bit of chaos that I think we all just needed.
1: It, you know, was, Kelman came it. on and
0: was just busy and really disruptive.
1: Yeah, all all, all the subs worked to a T. We were at a point in midfield where Colbach, as I said, was kind of having nibbles at people. You know what you're going to get from field, and and it's not particularly those very quick give-and-go passing moves. Dixon Bonner was trying those give-and-go moves. It worked okay. I quite liked him. He didn't have a terrible game, but he he faded from it. And so you need to sort of really, really get a very quick kind of metronome ticking in midfield. Um, And I think pushing Paul in there and having Larkesh out wide, I was a bit sceptical of Larkesh coming on, but that worked really well. Again, I don't think Pyle is a midfielder. I don't think he should be a midfielder in future, but it works for the game. Um, I actually think Clark Salter coming on was a brilliant, brilliant yeah. move. And we know yeah. that we can't rely on him all the time. It's a real shame. But as I said about Dunn's kind of stinky passing that he was doing, um, Clark Salter coming on just meant that even if we were passing it back and forth in the defensive line or, or the defensive line in the base of midfield, that base was just moving forward and forward each time it happened. I was really noticing this. When when you get frustrated under and especially about passing back and forth between usually Dunn and Dickey um, just outside of the halfway line. The passes were, were just going just ahead of each defender and just moving up a little bit and then suddenly you've got these real, to, to, to use a tactical term, I don't actually understand overloads, um, you know, where where suddenly there's a lot of players all in the places that the Stoke players don't want them to be. Um, yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll come on to, to Larkesh individual impact. I agree it didn't have a fantastic game, even that, that second Dykes goal comes from a cross that wasn't actually that great in its own right, but they were the right subs for that game. I think it probably helped. I would say helped that we were 2-1 down in that Juventus sort of felt that he had license to really, really go and chase it. But I like that we didn't really stop trying to chase it um after yeah. equalising, after after going 3-2 up even. Um, because I think he recognised that we suddenly had that intensity we have been lacking. We were completely on top, which we hadn't been at any point in the game. Let's really... Yeah, and we've made subs to attack. So let's really try and get something from it while we've while we're in that position. Obviously, all that with the caveat we've got a man advantage and we should be, yeah, outnumbering absolutely. them and overpowering them. But that's, that's you know, that wouldn't have been something I'd have backed us to have done at any point in the past year.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it was just it was good, uh, intelligent thinking. There's like moments of chaos, but like you said, there's the kind of like Clark salt coming on, which is just. A, a little bit of a sort of like more calming influence because that done, you know, at that point it hadn't had the greatest game, and yeah, it just really worked. I love the fact that we didn't have to try and like rely on field just because he was a central midfielder, and that he is one of our better players in what he does. But outside of that, if you are looking to chase a game, unfortunately, Sam Field isn't the man to do it. Yeah, you know, he's he's not going to lay create that pass having power and chair in the midfield. Two of your best players, two of your most creative players. Yeah, brilliant. It was it was bold, and it was something that we really needed. Um, and like you said, it cut that that cross in from Woolock. Not brilliant, but lands on Dyke's chest eventually, and it's just the most. He, he attempted it earlier on in the game. I can't remember which end it was, but I'm pretty sure he tried it earlier and missed, and it was very similar to this but he chests it down. It's a brilliant finish and in, into the bottom corner. The just bonkers level between the miss and then that yeah, goal. Crazy. That's absolute quality. It's just... It's so from one end of the spectrum to the other. You, you wouldn't believe it's the same player. And whoever, you know, we talk about him having confidence after the penalty... But whoever, I don't know whether he G'd himself up, was one of the other players, or whether it was a member of the coaching team. Might, someone might have not said anything, but what ha- whatever happened at half time to Lyndon Dykes, someone gave his performance the kiss of life. And it, 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 he was a
1: different player. He
0: was chasing well, he down. Crying, that's
1: it. Yeah. You know, that's why I like him. It's just it, that it came it... off and, and he didn't have time to overthink it.
0: Yeah. So that you know that's a brilliant goal, Lakesh. I mean, the, the it, it, that was brilliant in itself. It's it's awful football, but it's brilliant. And it on another day, you know, we would be two one down, attempting that sort of thing. Like someone trying, trying, and trying and trying and you know the Stoke player hits the deck, and all of a sudden it's a foul, and you know pressure's gone. But to the credit of the referee, he doesn't give a foul, and he just keeps going and going and going and going. And you are just like this this player that. You've only ever seen like play right back out of position or something like that previously. Yeah. You should, you know, in theory, you know, he's played for the um, PSG Academy and he's been at Fulham when they have been a Premier League side. You know, I didn't get, I know he didn't get time, but he should be decent. And he, he showed something there, showed desire.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the beauty of it was that we're probably not going to get that from him every week. That it's just a mad thing that happens in a mad game. Um, the the way that he sort of chased it down the way that he put it into the box, it being Ben and just capped off, well, didn't even cap off the night, but it was just lovely and and I think we've probably covered the Willock goal by proxy, but yeah, crazy, crazy night.
0: So you mentioned the Willock goal there. Um, it, it weren't brilliance from Willock and he didn't have a brilliant game either, did he? Like He nearly injured himself kind of straight away and he kind of at that point, I think it was one of the kind of many moments where he's sort of like, oh, God, not again. Like, he rolled his ankle or something like that, but he carries on. Um, and it, in the end, like, I forgot how crucial um, Charlie Kelman was to this goal. Again, just like, yeah. there'd been a nuisance and not letting his defender sort of get away. He's probably fouled in the end, but Willett comes in, takes over and eventually scores, puts the game to bed.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a shame that we've like not really managed to see either a QPR or elsewhere, what we hoped we would see from, from Kelman when we signed him. But certainly this this sort of behaviour is a good start. Like being a being a sub who can come on and even if you're not scoring goals, help out. Um, it Wasn't the best goal we'll ever see Willock score. Certainly wasn't the best finish we'll ever see him produce. He did drive forward, but I, I think the, the Stoke defenders uh, stood off him quite a bit. In the same way that I felt that the second Stoke goal I don't feel that Begovic ought to have done better because I don't like criticising goalkeepers when when something's hit from you know fairly close range like that and especially that Stoke goal kind of curls from outside the post and, and, and back in. But it's the sort of one where on another day he might get a hand to it and, and similarly I felt that with this um, willow goal that uh, that Bonham could have on another day saved it but just felt like the momentum had entirely, completely tipped in our favour by that point. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah. A great surprise. It was a surprise to see us go ahead. I didn't think we'd go ahead, but no great surprise to see the fourth goal go in at that point, I don't think.
0: The thing is, well, like, as soon as we scored that third goal, we nearly conceded. And yes. that was like a real like sort of head-in-hands moment. Like, re- I think everyone was worried because that felt like no, it was no, 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 straight no, no. from kickoff. off um, I completely forgot about that. And the fact that we didn't try and sit back I found that quite refreshing. we I mean, so, you know, and it goes, you know, if they do go and score an equaliser on on another day, it feels awful, doesn't it? But the fact that we actually, you know, by that point, with all the players that we had on the pitch, there's no points back. You may as no, well with a keep... with man
1: advantage as well if you're ever going to bet the farm.
0: Yeah, like you just go for it, and and that was that was nice. It was really refreshing that that last 15 minutes, the atmosphere in the in Loftus Road was. Was brilliant and you, you can see what it meant to a hell of a lot of people Um you, you know you compare, compare that uh, I know it's, it's kind of it is really chalk and cheese but like it, I think um I saw a video of the Etihad after they scored their third goal last night to come back in the Champions League or whenever it was last night Great night before I yeah no it was on Tuesday night so it was the same night so pretty much same game Um you know they've come from 2 nil down to win in the champions league they've pretty much conquered everything so maybe it's sort of like at this point winning's boring but the the muted reaction there and like the last minute reaction to fulham scoring a winner or something like that you know on monday yeah. night in the premier league and then you compare that to what you know what we were doing on the th- on the second on the second goal and then on the third goal on the fourth goal you know there there wasn't any dip in energy at that point it was only going up and if it was a saturday yeah. then you know you would fear for the bars and pubs in the local area but you know they're lucky in the sense that or maybe not lucky that it was a tuesday night and a lot of people would have headed straight home after that but the atmosphere in the place was incredible when there was all this energy and you wanted to uh, it was just brilliant it was so nice to actually have that good feeling again
1: the word is incredulity i think you know that each each goal it was kind of a jesus christ this is actually happening you know (laughs) um uh, uh, what i've already said was a, a pretty quiet Night atmosphere-wise, generally, and and it was relatively empty. as was what you'd expect from a midweek night game. I'm not criticising anyone for not turning up, but just the fact that it was quite quite sixteen thousand there. That was attendance. Really, yeah, that's well, not like, like it. it's not yeah. far
0: off like full. And I don't think the attendances have been bad at all. Attendances have been really good.
1: Recently. Okay, fair fair, like, fair enough. Then it was it was more full than I really. I agree, they've been good recently. And I was talking to my dad at the game about how how remarkably well they've held up considering how dire. The form has been but okay well in that case it wasn't quite empty but it was quite quiet um and yeah the 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 atmosphere in the last few minutes and th- there was a bit you know, a few chants going around the ground at probably two all and three two um but it really built to a sort of noise by the end which was um just just really good fun and, and just nice to to hear you know hi ho silver lining and that black eyed peas one as well like just the sort of stuff that you kind of forgot happened <laughs> Yeah, that was
0: yeah, that was really really fun. And we need the, you know, we need Loftus Road to be massive for us because, uh, you know, I was uh was on the radio again yesterday. Um, obligatory, I regular. yeah, obligatory mention. I, I can hear Dan rolling his eyes now when he listens back to this. Um, but we really need to make that like a complete fortress because I was sort of saying on the radio last night, even though that we. Are still six points behind Huddersfield because they have won on the same week as us. And that's that's an annoying win. It's a little sure, bit but... of a mood killer, isn't it? It's just like a little sort of like just a little jab of like bringing you back down to reality. But four weeks ago, or whenever it was that Ainsworth was still the manager, in the nicest possible way, six points felt like 12 points. Yeah. It felt insurmountable. It felt like we were never going to win another game. And it felt like you know, we were just going to let ourselves fall away. Six points now feels a lot closer and a lot more achievable, especially with that win last night. If we don't, no, not last night on Tuesday night, if we don't win, then it, you know, if it, it obviously feels different. And come Friday, I could be in a completely different mood because that's the way that football goes. It's the way that QPR goes. But in in this particular moment, I'm enjoying the fact that we won. I'm enjoying the fact that the last 15 minutes were fecking bonkers, and it was just it was a good feeling we had a good game you know we watched a good a good game for majority of it i'd say i
1: majority time wise okay maybe not, not majority but, but we the, we, ta- you know, the like, takeaway of the experience was yeah. a good game because because it it built and picked up and improved as it went but on, on that point about the six points it's annoying the, the circumstances of Huddersfield win really annoying but um yeah, it doesn't feel like as much of a gap as it was. What I would say is we're gonna to have to be consistently good. We we can't get this from from nicking something here and there. I think Huddersfield and, and Plymouth, just as the two sides that are currently directly above us, will will go on to to do pretty well. Um Huddersfield have had this sort of I say turnaround and form hasn't actually been as good as I thought it, it was, but they've they've got a relatively new manager. Plymouth have, have not really had these dramatic losing runs and dramatic winning runs that we sometimes have. They have been a sort of consistently streaky side who are going to consistently, I think, pick up points here and there. Um, there there's no one dropping away that, that I think we can really, really latch onto. We'll actually just have to win games, you know, on a semi-regular basis, at least, I think. Um, yeah, and, and massive which, to that. I mean, which sounds... Yeah, winning. Home, but it sounds obvious. We're saying you have to win games to stay. up. Well, yeah. But, but which I mean there's there's no one there's no one begging to swap places with us and get relegated. I don't think. I mean, you you
0: look at it as well. You've got to beat the teams around you as well, haven't you? Like we've missed that opportunity with Rotherham and Huddersfield at least once when they yeah. come to Loftus Road later on in the season. We've got to take those opportunities. We haven't played Plymouth yet, so that's yeah. you've got to look at that and think we've got to get six points there. We haven't played Sheffield Wednesday. We've got to get six points from those two games as well. Or yeah. at the very least, four. You know, this is non-negotiable stuff. Now, when it comes to playing those games, they're absolutely huge, uh, and, and and they will know that. They know that sort of probably better than the rest of us. Um, and another mention then for uh, me being on the radio last night, Steve Cook was a pre-recorded interview on the uh, on BBC London, and I was listening to it before I went on, and he was talking about the realities of the turnarounds. And this is something that dawned on me sort of like midway through the interview. And it kind of relates back to, um, I don't know if you watched it, but the Liverpool Man City game at the weekend, there are 1230 kickoffs after the international break. You would probably bet that every player on that pitch has been away somewhere. If not in a squad, you know, there'd be very few players from those two teams that haven't gone away on the international break. And yet they're playing the first game of the weekend. Does it, you know, does it really make much of a difference that extra couple of hours turnaround? Ultimately, it does because Cook was saying yesterday that he would. So he did the interview with them earlier in the day. So that would have been probably, from what we know, that's going to be like late afternoon by the time they're off the training ground. You know, And I don't know exactly what it's like, but you've you got to imagine it's going to be around sort of like 3, 2 o'clock, maybe even earlier when they're all done. He was in an ice bath before coming on for like a significant period of time to get everything sorted from, from that training session. The day of the game, he didn't go to bed until 3 o'clock in the evening. He was up, you know, that's pretty much all night, depending on what time you're getting up. And yeah. it, you're going to have to be relatively early riser as a footballer, I don't think they're getting to training too late in the day. Um, and he said that, you know, that in most games, you don't go to sleep that early, you know, early, you, you, you stay up really late because of that ad- adrenaline and regardless of whether you've won or lost. So when they've won like that, if every one of our players that played is staying up to three o'clock in the morning, and yet they've got to go all the way to Preston for a game tomorrow, I believe they traveled today, actually, So, you know, they're away from home as well. What a ridiculous turnaround that is. Tuesday to Friday, all for the sake of Sky Sports cameras in a game that... I'm not actually going to watch it. I'm at at a rugby match instead. I think a lot of people... I think, you know, I did make those plans a couple of weeks ago when we weren't winning. But, uh, you know, there may be a few more people tempted to stay and watch it. But that is someone's Friday night. Are you going to stay and watch it or are you going to go somewhere to do something else? Maybe with your family, friends partner, whatever. Like, what is the point of having the QPR versus Preston on Sky Sports at this point? It really makes no sense.
1: No, it's and it's not this blockbuster that will, that will realistically draw in a huge amount of, of, of neutrals. I, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, I'd sort of pity them if, if they are tempted. Um, but it, it also does that turnaround. Maybe I'm the jaded championship fan or whatever, but it, it I have much more sympathy for our players' having to make that journey just a couple of days after a game and, and with all the um, knock-on effects that you've said. And for any other championship, League One on occasion, their games get selected players who have to do similar than I do for the Liverpool and Man City players, partly because the teams are playing each other. They've both got the same the same disadvantage from an international break. But um, also because they're these sort of endlessly resourced Premier League monsters. You know, these, mm-hmm. these decisions have much bigger impact yeah. further down the pyramid.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But it's just I find it absolutely baffling. That said, no one's staying in to watch this game apart from a couple of Preston fans and a couple of QPR fans. It's just, it just isn't. You know, it just shouldn't be a thing at this point. Let's be honest. Um, and it is one of, a massive bugbear of mine. The the one in, in this situation, we're lucky because Preston have also played on Tuesday night and they got an absolute tonkin. They lost four um, nil to middle spread so that I don't I think at home that you know they are eighth in the table they've won eight times already this season with a negative goal difference by the way but that will probably be majority of those four goals the other night having said that you know they're going to be looking to bounce back from that so that them losing 4-0 isn't necessarily a positive regardless of how bad they played I don't think it's going to be a game of particular quality but if we could go away with it with a 1-0 win then you know marvellous not or or one all draw, I was meant to say, not one will one all win. Um all of a sudden I think we can win games, Ben. What's happening?
1: I don't know. I think I think maybe Because I can't tell what sort of omen their form really is, because it hasn't been terrible enough that that they're sort of owed a win that we're gonna gift them, but it, it hasn't been I don't know. I just I just don't know what it is. I, I'm also not sure whether I'm gonna be able to watch the game yet. Um but it's it's yeah, it's a silly time of day. I would really hope we can we can kind of kick on and, and, like you say, get get something of some sort there. And we've got coming up, you know, after that, Hull, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton, Millwall and Ipswich. Southampton and Ipswich are the ones that you pick as the difficult ones there. Millwall's out of the den. So really, we're looking at these next four games, right? Oh, could, it's
0: no, could not get more... I just realised it's Boxing Day for Millwall. That's not... Why, yeah. Why the, fucking
1: hell. Boxing How do you want to spend Millwall? your Boxing Day? at the den, Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely not, no thank
1: you Leaving family and friends behind to journey to one of the most unpleasant places to go, not just as a football supporter but a human Just being. in
0: general <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right um, the, the only other thing I was going to say about this game is that could our trump card be that Willock hasn't actually didn't start the last game and Marty Fuentes heavily hinted at the fact that he would probably start Preston to rotate ever so slightly. And I think he kind of made the point of, it's nice to have the option of having Smith or Willock.
1: I was about to say, who do you bring him in for? You think it is, it is Smith? That you you don't, for instance, sort of say, well, Dixon Bonner is playing a slightly attacking role, so we'll play Willock slightly more withdrawn than than usual, because I, I, I think Willock is, is, is owed a, a decent chance, but I thought Smith he didn't have a great game but he was trying things yeah i I think he adds a a real dimension to the team i don't know if i would want to make that change
0: i I wouldn't necessarily make it myself i think it's the one that the straight swap that makes sense and i think he'll want to keep a solid kind of like midfield because dixon bonner can do that kind of tracking back bit as well he is an actual sort of central midfielder and even though that we did play willock In that kind of role or chair or something like that in the Rotherham game, that was only because of like suspensions and injuries. So I think you'll go back to a convention with midfield three. Is does is does injured or suspended? I can't actually remember.
1: Uh, Not certain off the top of my head. I'm not sure.
0: I probably should have researched that before we came on. Regardless, that would be if it. Let's just first. It's gonna bug me. Could could you feel space for like a couple
1: of minutes? How I fill space? I, my mind just went back to Jordan Hugo. Was something really wrong with me. When I'm asked to fill space, that's where I go. What would I like to talk about? Talk about QPR related. Um, just looking through the various players on the bench from the Stoke game, thinking if I any comments to to make about them. Aaron Drew, he's still here. He should probably be out on loan somewhere. I would have thought he's good. I like him, but he's not getting him in this team. Taylor Richards is a funny one um, because he sort of probably ought to be making the case for himself that. Dixon Bonner has started too, and, and that Willock increasingly will do, but that's an ever-ongoing situation. And Duke McKenna, just as a final point because we had this conversation in our group chat the other day, Jude McKenna and Dixon Bonner, very, very different players, but probably the ones where one is going to start rather than the other. Um, and it, it's just interesting that Duke McKenna is the Ainsworth choice for that, and Dixon Bonner is the Sifuentes choice, and I saw a lot more from Dixon Bonner. I, I, I've i got a lot of time for Duke McKenna, he, he puts himself about, he's, he's nippy and he runs and whatever, but the last game where I saw him at Loftus Road, which off the top of my head, I'm trying I think, was it a uh Blackburn game, possibly, yes, where he started. Um I just thought he he lacked a bit and, and Dixon Bonner as much he wasn't perfect, had had something about him. Is that enough time to fill?
0: Yeah. I, I mean the Dixon Bonner thing is that it's only unfortunate for Jim McKenna. They're not like comparable quality or play or actual positional wise. It's just the situation that um what's his name? Ainsworth kind of created for it because, you know, he didn't. He 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 opted against all sort of like you know logic and good sense um, for Jut McKenna over Dixon Bonner, and I I don't know really why he'd do that. Um, Well, at that
1: point, I I I wouldn't have been able to tell you that logic dictated Dixon Bonner was a choice to make because I hadn't seen enough of him, but but certainly Jut McKenna. I mean, fair play to him for outlasting his sort of academy colleagues of of about two or three years ago who have since left the club. Um, But he's not lit the world up anywhere on loan. He was on and off the bench for Leighton Orient. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I I think his time is probably numbered. His days are numbered in terms of QPR.
0: Yeah. uh, In I just had a quick look at Clyde's preview, and he didn't mention that Dazel was suspended. So I assume injury then.
1: It'll be interesting to see if he makes it back into the side. Um, yeah. I, I still have serious doubts about his tracking back. That that, that Middlesbrough game exempted, and um, because he was fantastic at every in every area of the pitch. Then, um, but I think I think Dixon Bonner could could if not become undroppable, certainly make a case for appearing ahead of of um, Dezel by being slightly less anonymous, popping up in slightly more positions. And I don't want to be too critical of Dizel because he has improved in all those regards, but. Um, it, 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 it's an unfortunate time for Dizel that Dixie Bonner is, is probably going to start being yeah. that player.
0: Uh, and last mention um, is actually to a man that couldn't be with us today, Micah Chudley. Uh, he We had to move the time, well, we were going to move the time where we recorded this, but we we realized, I realised that I couldn't in the end. Uh, and unfortunately, that meant that Micah had to miss out on a podcast where he talked about a win. Now, Micah's watched quite a lot of QPR. He's been on these podcasts to talk about endless slop with me. Quite often it was just me and him, and I feel a little bit disappointed that he can't be here, but he wanted to make a point, and I'll read, hopefully, um, and do do this point justice, and Ben, you can debate it, if you will. Uh, so Micah said earlier, can someone make the point for me that when the second goal went in, the players ran to grab the ball and restart quick in an effort to get the third goal, Instead of just being happy, we equalised something, something winning mentality.
1: I largely agree. I noticed it at the time uh, that they were doing that, and and then also the sort of really lovely togetherness of them all running on to celebrate the, um, well, the winning goal, the third goal. Um, I'm just a little bit too hesitant to make big, overarching comments about mentality in the same way that I'm hesitant to look at an interview with a manager and go, God, he's different from the last guy. He says it how it is. Because just, you know, you can herald so many turns around in mentalities and and, and so many managers who are more honest and more plain spoken and more willing to call out the problems than their predecessor. And within about two weeks, the mentality is through the floor or the manager is starting to sound like he's trotting out all these old cliches that he's relied upon for so long. So I agree, but I'm not willing to... Nail my colours to the mast of a of a newfound winning mentality, just yet, which is quite hedging my bets and boring of me. But there we go, that's completely
0: fine, um, and probably a sensible point. Uh, well, regardless, it was nice. It was nice to see him do that, and it, it was... was all
1: nice. The whole thing was nice, except yeah. the first twenty five minutes, was so.
0: Yep, and we can rewrite history about that at a later date. That will be it for this week's podcast. It's been. It's been fun. And, you know, watching the game on on Tuesday, I'm so glad I was there. It was just, it was brilliant. So it's nice to finally get that win and get that monkey off our chest, hopefully. And we'll see what happens. Monkeys aren't usually on your
1: chest, usually on your back, but we've had monkeys all over, I think, with with sort of.
0: (laughs) We've managed to, like. Of
1: of metaphorical monkeys of doom.
0: We've shoved one monkey off, but there's still, like, at least six okay this was a a good win a good, a win that was good for the soul of many qpr fans so um ben thank you very much for coming on as per and uh discussing this in great detail and we will be back next week hopefully to talk about another qpr win and uh yeah what else can i say if if you were if you weren't there just watch the clips that the club put up of the goals individually Uh, on on the socials because it's brilliant. It captures it and you see the celebrations and you can get a real sense for the moment. It was brilliant. I want it more. Can we please win more games? Thank you very much. This has been Our Generation on Air. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, come on, you ask.